Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Yurthiru Coalition members? This is Phantology with our Oathbringer reread, recap, review, whatever you want to call it. We're talking Oathbringer, and this is the, the idea here is for this to come out on Monday, the day before Rhythm of War. So if you really need a last-minute refresher, then this is the thing to listen to. And if you want a refresher on, I guess, Stormlight Archive in general and a hype episode for what we're looking for in Rhythm of War, then check out that other one came out uh, a couple days ago. Uh, that that's a that's a fun read through. We give our predictions of what we want to have happen in the fourth book, which comes out on Tuesday. Uh, it's coming up really fast. Brandon Sanderson is doing his doing his best here, I think, to redeem 2020. So I really couldn't be more hyped. Like I've been looking forward to this for so long. It seems crazy that it's almost here. Yeah, for sure. It is like. You know what's crazy is that this isn't even like the the final book, but it seems like it is. It's the penultimate book. We know well. There's gonna be five books in this set, right? And this yeah, is book four yeah. or five, and it's like yeah. crazy that I'm so excited for book number four. You know? Yeah, I think it will be. Um, I I mean, in my mind, book five is going to be, and end not the end, but an end, as you like would say, yeah. according to Will Time. Um, so I'm excited a, for it's not the end, but it is an end. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying I think I think you're justified in saying penultimate because I'm expecting this to really be um uh, book four to be a kind of a cliffhanger for our, our wrap up in book five. Yeah, it's certainly the penultimate rhythm of war. Yeah, of yeah. the first set. Yeah. The the more I listen to Brandon, the more I, I feel like they're gonna feel like sets yeah. more distinct. Yeah, has he really explained? You know, let us know if you know the answer to this question. But I know that there's some kind of gap in between the two sets, but I don't know if he's really spelled out exactly what that's going to look like. Our running theory, the popular theory that I espouse at least, is that the Oath Pack will be reformed at the end of book five, and then our current heroes will become essentially the new heralds, and there will be some kind of final showdown in the last five books. But I don't, I don't really know what to make of the last five books at all, to be honest. I like had that theory as well. Like I fully believe that. But now, like thinking, that's a lot to happen in two books. You know, reform the whole Oath Pact. In my mind, it, it would reform the Oath Pact. Kaladin, Dalinar, Yasna, like whoever, they would all become heralds. Maybe not all of them, but you know, yeah, at least at least uh, a large percentage Just of the cool. heralds would come from the our our favorites um but now i'm like not sure if that's gonna gonna be it maybe that's a book 10 thing i don't know oh my gosh does that mean lift becomes a herald is there another <laughs> I was just gonna say. Possibly that we could have stuff up there i mean honestly she might keep her sanity better <laughs> if that's if yeah. the situation happens again well jake phantology is guaranteed actually that that theory is going to happen so i don't think we can really 
walked back from that. Oh, have we? We're, yeah, I, we're I mean, on record. We have. That. Yeah, we, we yes. have. So uh, that's a nice theory, but you are actually wrong because, <laughs> uh, because we've guaranteed. Anyway, let's talk about Oathbringer. And before yeah. we do that, if you like Phantology, you can find more of us online at www.phantologybooks.com. Full catalog. The website's going to be revamped pretty soon, actually, to make it easier to find different series and different books in series. But we've covered everything from Joe Abercrombie to J.K. Rowling to Robert Jordan to a lot of Sanderson to Dresden and a bunch of other kind of random things along the way. So if you like fantasy, we've probably covered more than just Oathbringer. And if you want to support the channel, you can do that at patreon.com slash underscore books. So Oathbringer, book three. Uh, we're not going to do any spoilers for the pre-release chapters of Rhythm of War, which a lot of you have probably read already. So we're going to try to avoid any speculation that touches on those things because we know some people have not covered those yet. And we're also going to not going to do spoilers for Dawn Shard, which came out last week. And some of us have Anthology are through, some are still reading. So uh, that that is off limits as well. We will do reviews on those things. Don't worry, they will come in time. But for now, we're just talking book three, which came out three years ago now. Yeah, and before we get too far into this, on our last uh, Fantasy News episode, we speculated on who would know that this book was coming out and who wouldn't know, and we kind of decided it was like a generational divide. But one of our <laughs> friends named Jared, we were trying to decide if he would know. I actually talked to him this weekend. He did not know when it was coming out. He knew it was soon, but he did not know, like, he did not know that, that oh, it was next okay. week. He, but he knew another book was coming out. I think the yeah, situation he, well, we're he knew talking another about book is, was coming out. Well, the situation we talked about, your father-in-law was like, oh, there's going to be another one? No, that was your mom. No, no, no. That was your mom, Jake. Oh, was that my mom? <laughs> I don't know. My father-in-law also <laughs> similarly <laughs> knew that there was going to be another one coming out. Yeah, but Jared knew. Jared knew a new one was coming out soon. He just well, didn't know it was he Tuesday. Like knew, he did not know it was... I don't know. There's a... You can assume that one's coming out, right? And you can, like, if you're smart, then you know that it's been three years. And so you should know that one's coming out in the, like, nearish future. But he didn't know it was next week. Yeah. Okay. I'll concede you on Jared. You, you've won the Jared <laughs> argument. All right. Jared, now that Ben has there. insulted everyone who didn't know Rhythm of War <laughs> is coming out. And we've probably alienated all of our older generational listeners. Let's do uh, Oathbringer. Third time is the charm to start off yeah. on our review. <laughs> So we start off with a, a prologue from Ishonai's or Eshonai's yes, perspective. We do. Another view on the fateful night of Gavilar's yeah. murder. I'm really loving the prologues, how we just get more and more information of the same event and kind of explore more of the world. I think for me, the biggest, like the biggest factor or not factors, the biggest like moments in the, the prologue we find out is Gavilar is wanting to bring back the Voidbringers, what he calls the singer's gods, in order to, I don't know if it was in order to just bring glory back to Alethkar, Vornism, or just shake up the world, get things going again. Well, so he's a son of honor. So as any good little son of honor would do, he wants to bring these guys back to then bring back the heralds and the radiance right. Right. and restore kind of the glory of the church, I think is what they're going for. Yeah, and I don't know if I really buy that it was really the glory of the church so much that he wanted personally. I feel like it was more... Personal? Personal thing? More of a personal or more like a, the world is like too stale right now. 
we need to bring back just like the glory of our forefathers. He got a little bored after unifying uh, Kolinar. He's like, uh, or not Kolinar, Alethkar. He wants a little more now. Yeah. Delving into the Cosmere. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you guys think about, I mean, do you enjoy this? I mean, repetitious prologue. I, I can't it. think of any other book that we see this in or series that we see this in. This is kind of like a trademark for Sanderson right now, right? For, I think for it's the really, really guy, fun yeah. to see you, the same thing through different points of view and get slowly doled out, you know, a few more details here and there, every yeah. book. And, and it's fun because then you see different characters through different points of view. Like you see Dalinar slumped over drunk. I don't remember if, it, if that's this prologue or a different prologue. I think it is, yeah. But uh, obviously, not after the events of Oathbringer, it kind of makes more sense because you figure out where he is at that point. But uh, yeah, j- just the different uh, viewpoints. Uh, I mean, it throws you right into a new character here, Eshenai, who we saw a little bit of in uh, in words of in words of radiance, but uh, and and we'll get more of in Rhythm of War too. A little bittersweet because she she dies in words of radiance, and so it was, it was like nice to see her again, but then sad yeah. to know like knowing where her story goes. That was actually one thing. At the end of Words of Radiance, I wasn't sure if she was dead or not. I don't remember if that was actually confirmed. And then an Oathbringer, Benley just finds her body and like, okay, she's dead. And I was like, really? She's just dead? I thought we were doing more with her. Yeah, yeah that's true. And if you kind of put yourself back in your shoes, like we knew that that rhythm of war was going to be, everybody was assuming it was an Eshenai chapter or yeah, yeah. backstory, which... It still might be, right? Like, we think that it's between her and Venley. Yeah, it's... Brandon said it's going to be both of them. Yeah, so you're, like, pretty sure that something was going to happen. And, yeah, it was kind of anticlimactic. Do you think he did it just so... So he's revealed who a lot of these flashback characters are going to be. And he's always said, like, you can't assume that they're going to be alive just because I'm saying this. And we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Brandon. We know they're going to be alive. (laughs) It's like, actually, no, they're not all alive. And here's a dead one. I think he was flexing a little bit of his his George R. R. Martin feel. He was like, I can do this a little bit. You want this character? Well, they're dead now. So just, just a little, just a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So Dipping to finish up the prologue, I, I also think it's cool that as readers, we're like, Oh, we know so much more than we did at the start about yeah. Roshar yeah. and about the world. Yeah. And like, we think that we know more than all the characters. And then to realize that, Oh man, some characters knew more than us way back in book one. Yeah. You know, like it's it's a pretty cool, fun thing to to realize. It's kind of I don't know if cinematic is the word, but it makes me it makes it feel kind of like this this series, like a TV series, where it's like, okay, now we're gonna get a little bit like at the beginning of the series, we're gonna get a little yeah. bit more information. I don't know what show it's like calling back to, but that's what it's. The it vibe almost it's feels kind of like a Lost type. Yeah, because Lost has a lot of flashback like that. I've seen this before in some movie. I don't remember. I don't remember what the movie was or who it was, but it was some like foreign country and there was some kind of like assassination attempt. And then it was through all these different viewpoints until finally at the end, you realize what was actually going on. It was kind of a more unique movie. It was all right overall, but dang, if you know what that movie is, let hey, me know I want to know now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good point, Ben. It's cool how like the further we get in the series, we're like, oh man, we know so much. And there's a lot of that storytelling where you as a reader know a lot more than the characters but then you go back to a flashback and you're like oh wait no i'm kind of being put in my place here i have a lot more to learn (laughs) yeah yeah the big part of the stormlight draw for me is the mystery 
yeah. right? The fantasy, but it's also mystery at the same time because there's all of these different things. I mean, we have your theory. We have what's going on with the with the Oath Pack. We talked about this. What's going on with the Heralds? I mean, I, I guess I could list off mysteries of of this series uh, for a while now. And apparently, from what we've heard of Rhythm of War, some questions will be answered. More will be brought up. No big surprise yeah. there. But getting those answers is fun. And we got a lot in Oathbringer. And then, um, so I, so one big point of the prologue is Esh and I finding out that Gavilar wants to bring back their gods, which we now know is Odium. But it seems like Gavilar thought maybe it was a little different, like maybe the Unmade, because he gives her that, he shows her that sphere. And then the other thing we get to see is kind of Zeth's beginning. We see him being, we find out he was bought by a member of the Parshendi Council prior right. to Esh and I finding out about Gavilar's plans. Yeah, they're like, and oh, we then, bought this dude, and by the way, he's an assassin. Oh, we need an assassin. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's use him. <laughs> it seems like it's definitely, it seems like too coincidental, right? And I was going back and looking at it, and the guy who bought him said he heard a voice telling him he needed to buy this guy, this slave. Huh. And so... I did. I totally forgot like that that had even happened. I don't know if I ever noticed it till just now. And I'm like, who whose voice is that? Like, who would be puppeting the situation? Would it be Teravengian somehow, or is it Odium? Odium has Odium. Do we have record of Odium whispering to people before? Well, at the end, he does to Teravengian at the very end of the book when uh, he forms this bargain with him. Teravengian is kind of called out by Odium, and he goes out, and they have this meeting. Same type of situation, like he hears a voice through an open window, something like that. Yeah, yeah but that was more, I, I don't know. I, I got the feeling that at, through Oathbringer, obviously Odium's power is coming back more and more with the Everstorm, and so he has more ability to have a presence on Roshar. But maybe he always had that power, and so he was the one talking to him. Anyways, I thought that was an interesting detail, and I'm looking forward to getting an answer to that sometime. Yeah, I totally forgot that detail, but... Uh... Yeah, yet another question. So let's go into the actual characters. We want to just talk about each one of our big characters, kind of individually. We'll cover through. We'll cover whatever plot points you guys want to bring up. And let's start with Dalinar. Dalinar obviously gets all of the flashbacks in this. This is his book, so to say. Josh, in our Rhythm of War hype episode, brought up a good point on Dalinar, which was that Brandon really kind of reverses your classical hero arc where you have someone who is the scum of the earth and then you make them good and you come to love them etc uh, that that's what you typically see but here dalinar through the first two books has been awesome and just like the the example the paragon of virtue here as he saves kaladin and then the bridgeman and he bonds the storm father and does all these cool things and then in this book it's, it tears it all down shows you who he was at his worst and then shows you how he got to where he was and this is another unique thing that I haven't seen. I can't think of a great example of this that I've seen before. And I I really like it. I think it's done very well. Yeah. I think it was too. You know, I'm just going to say, like I know Josh loves Dalinar. Dalinar is like my third or fourth favorite character because a lot of the times huh. he just doesn't always know what's going on. Like, for example, the visions in the first book, you're like, Dude, you, you just had, like, had no clue about what those were, but you thought you did, and so you made like a lot of assumptions on like very limited information. And so in this book, it wasn't so surprising to me that he had such a big 
fail like such big fail moments because he's very like just snap decisions go and we get a lot more of that in this book but we also did see that through the first two as well so you think Dallin are stupid he is not the smartest crumb in the, very, in the pot you know he's not very deaf politically but i think i see him in books one and two very much uh like a Perrin archetype yeah, of okay in the sense that he may come off as not intelligent, but it's really he's, at least in books one and two, I got the feeling that he's very thoughtful about everything. Like, I didn't think he was too brash with the the visions. I mean, me as a reader, I didn't know what the visions meant. You know, unite them. I thought he was on the right track at first, you know. Unite Apparently Alucard. Ben did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I did necessarily, but I'm saying that he he was making huge decisions based off of, these visions but yeah, also I, like he was like outmaneuvered by sadius he was yeah he's not he's not like politically yeah he's certainly he's politically, flawed politically that deft because he also his character now he doesn't think like that his character now assumes the like more of the best in other people but i think there's a huge difference between his brash nature from the flashbacks and just this impulsive passion driven creature to the Dalinar we see in book one, who is all about, okay, no, we need to restrain ourselves, like follow the codes. And I, I see a big difference there. I, I okay. see what you mean. He's not like, he does fail though. He does have fails. Oh yeah. That, that's what's, that's what this whole book is about or about his failures and taking the next step. And gosh, I mean, how, how do you read this book, Ben, and not love Dalinar? His, his I really like Dalinar. He's, he's great. <laughs> Well, because then, like, you get into the whole like he he visited the he visited the unmade, and he are you talking about the night watcher or the night watcher? Yeah, the night watcher definitely opposite of the unmade. Yeah, big Sorry. difference, big difference, Ben. Okay, he visits <laughs> he visits the night watcher, and he gets his memories of his wife taken away, and then right after he gets his memories taken away, he's like. Oh, why was I being such a crybaby? Like, why was this a big deal? Like, why why did I need to do this? And then he kind of says, I'm just going to recommit to following the codes. And so it just, even when he, like, first he of all, he brain magic away. Of course, yeah, he, it was brain he's magic like, why away. is this a big deal? Because he, he can't feel it anymore. So he can't, he has no memory of that, like, pain, really. So, of course, he's like, oh. Yeah, that's fine. You have, you have no memory of the pain, but you should know yourself well enough to know that you wouldn't have gone off the deep end had it not been something tragic. It just annoyed me a lot. So I guess you, you struggled to get the bridge in between who he was and who he is now. Yeah. Right. That's a good way of putting it to me being, well, I think the drunkard, impetus was Gavilar, Gavilar dying, right? Yeah, like, as he, dying. I mean, if we think back to how he was in his younger life, like Gavilar was always kind of his, uh, Gavilar would point at something Dallin, I would go smash it. And there was a point where, he almost kills Gavilar, and then he says, you know, I cannot be trusted with leadership. Gavilar is the one. He defers to Gavilar. He lets Gavilar marry Navani when he probably could have, you know, maybe maybe made a little bit more of a claim for her since he loved her the whole time. So without Gavilar there, I think he needs a new purpose. And so I, I could see, I, I think it's reasonable that he's able to kind of refocus things and he gets the way of kings read to him and is, you know, one of his worst moments after Gavilar dies and this kind of helps him realize that there's another way to go. Okay. So what was you, what were you guys' favorite moments in his backstory where he's just like, 
kicking butt and taking names. I loved how the rift, the first time he's at the rift and fights, because I think this shows his brutality, but it also shows the hint of the good Dalinar we'll see later, because right. he, he makes the decision to spare Tanalan, the yeah yeah the young the name. prince yeah. there yeah the, the young prince because I don't know if he thought it was necessarily smart politically or what but there was that hint of a better man in there. Well, and he did then, for Evie too, right? Yeah, for her as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess she was probably the main focus, but but you still see like there's there's a version of him that can do that, and then you get to see how when pushed a little too far, he goes crazy. And so I think that was a really cool setup to show the extremity of his behavior and also show kind of the bridge between the two Dalinars, like how there was evidence of that Dalinar there to an extent, like there's a hint at it. Yeah. I think for me, the best was just the hints of the thrill, what the thrill was. Like this is something that we'd seen back to the first book. And the first book, you wouldn't have thought anything of it. You're like, oh yeah, you know, the Alethi, they are big fighters and they have this thing called the thrill. And that yeah. makes them really strong and, and, and passionate, etc. And then you start to get more into this and you're like, you know, there's something weird about this thrill thing. And you maybe even don't even still think anything of it. I didn't think anything of it till the very end of the book when you're like, ah, actually, the thrill is an unmade and it's been artificially creating all of these feelings. And I thought it was set up in these preview or not preview, but in these flashback chapters really well. Yeah. My first read through uh, Wave Kings, I was like, oh, he's just renaming like classic bloodlust as the thrill. Like that's what they call it in world. Yeah. I didn't, the first read through of the Wave Kings, not at all did I ever catch that this was a supernatural force. And I think the first reference to it is when they're uh, hunting that chasm, or not hunting the chasm fiend, but what are they hunting? They're they're hunting something, him and Alucard. I don't know. Great shell, sure. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Out there in the shattered plains, and the Casafine comes, yeah. and they they had this like race up to a top of a pinnacle or something, and the thrill overtakes them, and you're like, oh yeah, the thrills, you know, that's kind of a fun thing. I just yeah. thought it was like him, like oh yeah, remembering back to when he was a soldier, because I mean that's a real thing, and like in real life, there are people who kind of get addicted to the adrenaline rush, and yeah, and that. So that's that's why I chopped it up too. I liked how, like you said, we can see that this is a real supernatural force playing on people. Yeah. I really liked how he established his like elites and I can't remember the archer's name. I don't know if that guy got a name. Did he get a name? The guy that he converted onto his side instead of killing him. Yeah. Right. Like the guy guy like became an ardent, right? Yeah. That's what I thought too, Jake. Oh, is that Kadash? I think so. Yeah. So, cause he like shoots Dalinar, right? And then Dalinar's like, that was a bloody good shot. Yeah. Like, Like let's go, you know, and it just shows. He's uniting them even back then. Yeah, he was his elites were really cool. I enjoyed that. And then and then it was also crazy to see his elites kind of almost abandon him. Not abandon him, but like they slowly disbanded because he started like losing it more and more. I think my other favorite scene was when he uh stopped an assassination attempt for Gavilar with like using a knife. And then he's just like I mean he was looking for a knife, right? And oh he was like, yeah, and then oh, he started eating yeah. with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then like people are staring at him, and then he like just walks out into the high storm, like to yeah. go like do something else. And then yeah, he's Navani was like, "You just did more politically than Cavalier would have done the whole evening of showing a Lethe force or something." It was a great moment. 
Yeah. He hey, the, the archer wasn't Kadash. I just looked up. I, I don't know who the archer was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Remembering that wrong. It was a good, good moment still. Yeah. He's got so many moments where I don't know. It was kind of like a, a confusing blend of like, I'm horrified at these atrocities, but also dang, what a man, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were parts, if you've read First Law, where he reminded me of Logan Ninefingers. Definitely. You're kind of cheering him on, but he's also this brute that could go crazy at any moment. And I, I got a lot of that. Obviously, the characters go in two different directions. Well, kind of. I don't want to do spoilers for, the, for that series. Check out First Law. If you haven't, you'll get another character that's kind of like Dalinar. I think... I think one of my other favorite moments of the flashbacks... Sorry, I just kind of got fixed there on the flashbacks, and we can talk about present-day Dalinar. But... His relationship with um, Adlin and Renarin was so fascinating to me. It was like one of the most touching scenes was when he was kind of going crazy looking for wine and Renarin uh-huh. walks up with a bottle. And he's like, I know like, daddy likes this. Exactly. And then he like, like breaks down like, and just like, sign. yeah, he like breaks yeah. down and just like starts hugging him. And oh, geez, like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it really hit home. And how he didn't want anything to do with Renarin because he wasn't like the epitome of Alethi uh-huh. like strength, you know, and how he still, that was one thing he still really hadn't overcome present day. You know, he, he still had a hard time really accepting Renarin. And he had the same conflicts with Adolin too, because Adolin the whole time was trying to please his father, this great warrior, the epitome of all these Alethi values. And I think there's one, th- one part where, Adolin says, like, oh, I won my duel. I, you know, I'm on the rise here. And Dalinar looks at him and he's like, your shirt's untucked or, or something like that. And, you know, you're speaking to, uh, too informally to me, soldier. Uh, so they yeah. still have, you know, and they still butt heads at, pre- at present day. Well, it's Adolin is like a really cool combination between Dalinar and Evie. Like, yeah, that was one thing. I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get to know Evie more. We did, but just through Dalinar's lens. But anyway, that aside, you can tell that. Adlin's mother really influenced him even like down to caring about like fashion more and being able to like buck Voren slash Alethi tradition a little bit more. Even down to his hair color. Right. Right. Yeah. Like he's, he's described to, to the T as the combination between yeah. the two races. Yeah. And, and speaking about Adolin, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously in this book we find out we've kind of hint, hinted at it, uh, that Dalinar through his brutalities causes the death of Evie. And that kind of comes to light at the end of Oathbringer for everyone because mm-hmm. Oathbringer is named after the book that Dalinar is scribing about his past. Like basically these memories that we're reading through is what he's writing down. So I'm interested to see how that plays into Adolin's character in the future. It doesn't really seem to be addressed too much in Oathbringer. Yeah, there's not enough time in this yeah. one. That's the very end. But yeah. yeah, certainly the release of this book, you know, it's probably a bestseller, but at the same time, what's it going to do to the author? Yeah. At the same time, well, I guess one more thing I really liked is uh, how even in the flashbacks, they really, it really got me to believe that Sadius had betrayed Dalinar, even though we know, like Dalinar has says in book one and said in book one and two, that he didn't really have a reason to distrust Sadius before the betrayal uh-huh. on the uh at the tower at the tower so even like i knew that but still in that flashback when they the rift again they convinced dalinar that sadius had betrayed him i was like i knew it it's like when um 
It's like yeah. in philosopher stuff. Or yeah, stuff. I was just gonna say Snape. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Snape. It's like a Snape moment when you're like, <laughs> I knew it was you, and then you're like, Oh dang, no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah I really wanted it to be you though. I really <laughs> wanted to hate you more. But finally, it was. It never really was for Snape. Yeah, but yeah, but that was a good moment. And then just talking about the Evie thing. Obviously, it's a great, like a huge tragedy and like way terrible thing. But I kind of go back and forth on wondering whether this is if like other people should see it as that huge of a moment. Dalinar obviously should um, and his family should. But like when the other nations find out about it, is this really should this be something that is so big? I mean, it's just war, you know, I think obviously the, the fact that a man is writing the story is big. You know, yeah. it's going to upend their entire culture to some extent. Yeah. But then to just see this through, I, I guess we assume that the book covers all of the details at the same yeah. level of detail that we saw in the flashbacks. Uh, if it does, then you could say, well, yeah, it's like pretty eye-opening to see how far the Blackthorn went. Yeah. But, it's but not keep like in he mind, he's writing there. this book having already bonded the Stormfather. You know what I mean? Like he has like, God's backing him at this point. And yeah. so yeah. He's he's writing this book from a position of strength. You know, if this was like a washed up Alethi warrior writing this book, it would be a different story. Yeah. Also no one would care. That's fair. And yeah, I think people are also conditioned to view him this way because of the Sunmaker and the kind of that whole Yeah, um, yeah, the whole legacy. Like yeah, so I don't know if people would necessarily be surprised. I mean, he did it to make an example. That was why he burned down the rift. So he obviously like knew what reputation he was making for himself. And kind of like like you guys are saying, like the fact that his wife died, it's like, well, that sucks. But like, is it really more terrible than like burning down a yeah, whole city as it good. was? You know? Yeah. Why do you guys think that cultivation herself appeared to him? Yeah. I, I was I was wondering this. Is it just because somehow the shards knew that he would be a big player later on against Odium, or yeah, did so it have I, to do with his pain? Just like was it just the amount, like his pain and his boon that he desired, or did it have to do with also his potential future? I think it was definitely his potential future. I actually reread this part last night, and I think she made it sound like her whole purpose was to make him grow. Uh -huh. And he, she knew that Odium was interested in him at that point. And so she mm. was trying to prune away oh. the scars that Odium had given him and yeah. help him grow. Because she said, this will come back eventually. These parts will grow back eventually. But this will give you time to grow into who you need to be to handle it. She said something along those lines. Let, let, me, let me read the quote. So she says, in doing this, I provide for him a weapon. Dangerous, very dangerous. Yet all things must be cultivated. What I take from you will grow back eventually. This is part of the cost. It will do me well to have a part of you, even if you ultimately become his. You are always bound to come to me. I control all things that can be grown and nurtured. That includes the thorns. So one thing there, like she says, uh, even if he goes to Odium, it would be, it's good for me to maybe have a contingency and have you still be a part. Like I have some claim yeah. to you as well. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's the potential for whatever could happen with Odium. I, from that quote, I had a kind of a, an observation that it's kind of similar to, um, we see this throughout Oathbringer, the idea that Odium will take your pain, take your sorrow. Uh, uh -huh. We have that pivotal moment where Dalinar refuses to give in. 
It seems kind of like cultivation is doing something similar, though. She's taking the pain. It's not permanent. So, I mean, there's a distinction there, but little kind of similar ideas that, oh, just give up your pain. But one, I guess, is is a more sustainable and the other one is just... Which is kind of in line with the intent of the shards, right? The the shards have similar intents to an extent, but then it's ultimately like, uh, I don't know, they're, they're different... But also same, 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 but different. You know, popular yeah. shift <laughs> same, there. Same. Um, I think I guess it has to do with cultivation's intent is to cause growth, and so she's like, okay, we can do this because it's going to cause you to grow. Whereas Odium's right. is more just, right? I mean, we can get to that later. I'm really not quite sure what Odium's game plan is with the taking people's sorrow. Man, if we were doing Donchard spoilers, we could talk about some Donchard theories that have popped up in relation to this. We're not going to do that. <laughs> but uh, you can find those things on Reddit. Also, a yeah. um, question from that quote. She says, in doing this, I provide for him a weapon. So I understand that as by removing these memories, she's providing Odium a weapon, like potentially. Well, I how, think, how, like, is that, how is that interpreted? If he, if he had just like kept on being a drunkard or whatever, like chances are he would have just continued to spiral, right? And like oh, and, been yeah. useless, Not being you know useful. what I mean? Okay. So, I think she was saying, hey, I'm going to kind of like give you a chance to revamp your life. And in doing so, he could then take advantage gonna of this him in too. A position, yeah. Okay. That makes position sense. where Odium could take advantage of this, yeah. of this past thing and have this well-defined, strong character yeah. on his side. But at the same time, he's, he's able to overcome it. I imagine the moment when he says, you cannot have my pain to be akin when they make the movie. Eventually, hopefully they make these movies one day. We'll see. <laughs> But it would be akin to Gandalf saying you cannot pass on the bridge. Yeah. Same yeah. type of delivery. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so you good. You cannot have my pain. Something like that. Can we get can we get Ian McKellen as a Dalinar? <laughs> Is he gonna be too old? Yeah, he's definitely too old. Yeah, he's gonna be too old, man. <laughs> Dang. So I guess we've been talking around it, but Steven, do you wanna explain like kind of the climactic scene with Dalinar? Because it wasn't always clear who who Odium's champion was going to be. And well, it's still not. I mean, that whole thing is still a, it's still up in the air. Well, yeah, yeah, but it was clear who Odium was hoping it would be, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it it is now. Yeah, yeah. Before we do that, so kind of briefly to to scurry through some events in present day. So he marries Navani, featuring the Stormfather officiating the ceremony. That's kind of fun. We'll spit in the eye of the of the Ardents. They're going to a higher authority. There's a lot of politics. Expedition to Kolinar gets authorized. He goes to the Thalans. He gets the uh, Asian people to join up. There's all these visions, etc. So, I mean, there's a lot of politicking that takes up the middle of the book for him. Yeah. Um, it's like fairly interesting to read. I don't know. It's not exactly my favorite. One of my things with Stormlight is I wish the politics were a little bit stronger it's not Song of Ice and Fire level politics where you're kind of at the edge of your seat and wondering what you know moves by specific people are going to do. You're just kind of like, yeah, we're along for the ride. Let's see what happens here. But it's it's not nearly as intense. Yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you guys yeah. feel the same about the politics? I feel like the potential to be as strong as Song of Ice and Fire is definitely there. Like the with the different motivations and everything. But I think the way the I don't know if it's just the plot or the way it's the politics are actually written where we just kind of know what needs to happen. And yeah. then if things don't, we know it's like, okay, we're going to kind of like power through this as opposed to, okay, if we don't, there's going to be a red wedding or something like that. 
Yeah. Right. We don't ever expect a huge paradigm shift based off the politics, yeah. which is weird considering, you know, Tara Vangine upends everything and they do kind of blow up the coalition and they yeah. release this secrets about the Voidbringers. Those are all huge events, but at the same time, just doesn't have the same real uh, intense political feel for me. It's like, it's not grimdark politics. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, yeah, you're just, you're just like, okay. Like for example, when he goes to Thalen, Thalen city and the way he kind of converts, converts uh, the monarch's son is by like dueling him and like allowing the son to like stab him or something. Uh-huh. It was all kind of just cheesy. You know what I mean? Like a little bit, like have one trick pony. I really enjoyed J- Yasna's letters to them. No, that wasn't Thalen. Azish, right? Yeah, that was the Azish. Uh-huh. I really enjoyed that and how they kind of like wrote progressively better letters logically and was like, and they're like, oh, you know, like the, yeah, she's like yeah, laying yeah. the smackdown on them through the, thought, these, <laughs> these logic letters. But again, that, the- <laughs> like it's cool because it like lines up with their culture, but at the same time, it's kind of cheesy. You know, you're like, okay. Yeah, I thought that know? part was cheesier than the fighting. I thought the fighting part served a purpose because it showed it kind of helped that helped us see how the rest of the nations view Dalinar as like he's yeah, there's a reason so that not they can't himself. trust him it's like how do we like trust him and it shows him like oh he is still this right. person he's just grown past it yeah I think I think maybe I think the problem we're all kind of talking about is it kind of felt like check boxes for all these nations it's like yeah it was like here's like a this. simple yeah. like tied up thing that we can do to kind of earn this city's trust or this this monarch's trust, you know, and yeah, and it was never really in doubt that that he would end up forming that coalition. Well, yeah. I mean, not everyone's joined. The Shin people rejected him, and uh, what is that? Uh, the nation Makabaki. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, those guy. Well, oh, Emul, Emul, which is the one that has the herald as the. I think Emul has the herald oh, as the. Uh, isn't it something? With yeah, no, I think that's his name. Like Tezim, the oh, yeah, the yeah, god Tezim. priest. Is what is going? I think it's Ishar. Ishar, the guy who sure. made made the oath pact in the first place. Yeah, he shut him down and also asked him to hand over Eurythiru in the process. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, but we're not sure what the consequences of those rejections would really be. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like he gets rejected, but we also have a sense that he's formed a big enough coalition to accomplish what he wants to. And then at the same time, you know, like I said, the, the Teravangian tricks them, the coalition all breaks apart. It seems like it's all falling apart. It seems like Odium's won, honestly. But, you know, because Sanderson writes this with an optimistic tone, it's kind of like the gray. He he talked about this in a recent live stream. He said his writing is gray with optimism versus uh, George R. R. Martin's is more gray with more of like pessimism, grimdark, layering to it. So you always believe that they're going to come out on top. The question is just kind of how. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's fine. Like our heroes can win. That is okay in a story. We also <laughs> yeah. get um, with this politicking and the visions, we get probably the best meme I've seen out of Stormlight, which is when Lyft says that Dalinar has a, a nice butt. And then I've seen a bunch of memes comparing that to the, the Captain America meme. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just how Dalinar is the... Dalinar and his butter, Roshar's version of it. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but uh, but I like it. Yeah, actually, I don't like it. I don't think anything Lyft says is funny. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on record for that. I'm just kidding. Lyft Lyft is all right, but she can be a little grating. Yeah. All right, so that brings us up to Thalen Field yeah. and the climactic scene here 
where Odium's pretty much got him on his side. And then he's like, actually, Odium, no, I'm not going to give in to you. And then he he swears another ideal. He says, I will take responsibility for what I've done. If I must fall, I will rise each time a better man. And then he proclaims himself to be unity and he draws all the three realms together. So Cosmere fanboys are going crazy at this point. I, I certainly <laughs> was. And then the uh, perpendicularity opens here and all the gemstones around are infused, which pretty much just powers up our heroes to power through for the win. So this climax was I think it's my favorite climax that I've read in uh, in Sanderson's books. The other two are good, but this one just went on for so long, had so many scenes that you had built up to and then paid off really well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome Sanderlanch here. Even like like Zeth flying around and then like Adolin and Kaladin and, and Shalan finally making it through their slog for right. Shadesmar to like join up. And yeah. It's so just... many things came together, right? Like, he opens the perpendicularity, which allows these guys to escape because otherwise they're dead. And it also gives everyone the power they need and saves Zeth, who's pretty much dying from using night blood too much and lets Yasna just go crazy because she's got this unfettered access to Stormlight. It, it all came together perfectly. I, I mean, 10 out of 10. This is sure, probably this his, his biggest Sanderlanch. I feel like Wave Kings was more of a, was more of like that, minimalistic just the perfect ending without yeah. like going crazy and then words of radiance was also kind of on that side whereas this was just everything words of radiance of was way. a step up it was a step up in words of radiance well i really we finally Wade. had the fight between zeth and kaladin yeah and, and the everstorm and high storm meeting yeah yeah i really like the wave kings climax i just mean it was more of a precise like surgically placed in there and Words of Radiance was kind of like that too. Like these things are finally clicking into place when Kaladin finally swears the second ideal, blah, blah. Whereas this one is more, all right, get out of the way. We're just going to throw all the action we can and it's going to be awesome. Like it yeah. wasn't as, it wasn't as much of a finesse weapon climax yeah. as it was just brute strength. And it was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. I loved how Kaladin kind of got his showdown with Amaram and how yeah that too right yeah I, yeah and how they were which we needed from the very from the first book oh yeah i i honestly wasn't a huge fan of the direction they took with amaram i didn't understand how he went from being a son of honor who's trying to like in his mind he's doing what's right to all of a sudden i'm this creature infused with passion that can't resist odium and now i'm going to like i know part of it is him yeah. swallowing that unmade but even before well, that's then, what made him into the unmade but yeah, before right but yeah. i'm not sure how that conversion happened so fast like i get that he wasn't a good guy but it was more i'm gonna do whatever it takes because of this good cause that i believe in to now i'm just mm. the epitome of everyone hates me so i need to die basically like all the all the main characters hate me so it's become just super evil that's fair and i think it's kind of it's an interesting direction to one kill off sadius and then kill off Amram, who are the two biggest villains within by far. The, like, within like the kind of like the human side of things. Yeah. I mean, I remember when my dad was reading these. I mean, he's fairly into the books. He's not super into the Cosmere. But he was all about like, we got to get rid of Sadius. I hate Sadius. And then we do that. And now it's like, oh, Amram's the worst. Got to take down Amram. And so we've lost our two villains here. And so it, it, I'm interested to see what happens in Rhythm of War. You know, obviously Odium is a big villain but you don't feel the same connection to him because he's not 
it's not necessarily personal. like a, a yeah. human. Yeah, it's not a, a personal offense. Yeah. Whereas Amram was very much a personal. I would have rather have seen Amram not become this embodiment of evil, but instead need more like how Moash is. Yeah, more, like a more of a personal villain to contend with. So is Moash our last big personal personalized villain? That's what it seems like. Unless there a new one comes out that we don't know of. Teravangian, I guess. Teravangian, is... yeah, he's yeah, he's a really good villain. I yeah, I kind of want to talk about Teravangian to contrast with Dalinar. Before we go into that, I had just one question, and I don't know if you guys are more up to date on the forums or like the theorizing, but they kind of talk about in this book about whether odium really is hatred, which you know odium means in English, or if it's just passion. Yeah. And so where do you guys sit on that? And then also, how does him taking the sorrow of other people's really align with his intent of either passion or hatred? If it's passion, I guess I could see it because he's like absorbing more. But you think a passionate intent would just be flaring other people's emotions to just be these creatures of lust more like we see in the revel. Mm. But I'm not really sure. Like, I understand plot wise, like taking other people's pain kind of makes them into these thralls under his service. But when it comes back to Shardic intent, I'm not sure how that lines up. Nice use of Shardic. Yeah. <laughs> TM. Shardial. <laughs> I haven't thought about this a whole lot. I guess I, I, off the top of my head, I would think it's more of like corrupted passion is odium or passion that's gone too far. And honestly, I kind of see what he's doing is more of like a classical theological view on Satan where he's taking away your free will. And so he's taking your pain which then makes like you said jake like makes him into a thrall that just serves him and doesn't have free will to act and make mistakes and become a better person but it's kind of the opposite of the passionate intent because that person is left with no passion no feeling just there's there's a scene where odium is speaking to dalinar i think it's in one of the visions i think it's the same vision that lift shows up in that he justifies and kind of tells Dalinar like what the world would be like if he didn't if he wasn't there I can't remember like the ins and outs of it but yeah that's where that's where he kind of says you guys think I'm hate but really I'm just passionate right yeah so I think I think honestly that's probably all we all we're supposed to know right now and and I've heard there and I don't know if these are words of Brandon or just theories saying that you know he might view it as passion like it could have originally been hatred but he thought it was passion so it's hmm. kind of being seen through that tent of glass but i still don't understand how that really relates to him yeah and i don't think any of the shardic intents are like a purely negative thing right there's no evil shard yeah well hatred isn't evil either in and of itself (laughs) i I mean mean, on the spectrum it's a lot worse than love yeah yeah but there's not but you know what i mean like i guess i don't know yeah I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure, yeah. I guess. Uh, I, and I guess this kind of goes back to our our criticism or our uh, speculation here to like what the villains are. You know, is Odium really someone that we can see as a villain? Maybe we don't understand him enough to really see him as a villain and we want more of that. I guess that's just where we land for now. But if anyone has any answers on the taking people's emotions, what? how does that fit into Cosmere theories? Yeah, I mean, that could also just be what he was telling Dalinar because he knew that that's what Dalinar wanted. Yeah, very possible. Yeah, like Jake was saying, if, if you know, if you yeah. have some theories here, Let us know. Hop, on, hop on Discord. Invites to our Discord are in all of our social posts and on our website, et cetera. 
not hard to find. And we'd love to have you on there. We have channels that are just geared towards these types of things. I think my favorite Dalinar quote was when he says, I'm a hypocrite, but sometimes a hypocrite is nothing more than a person who is in the process of changing. And on that note, really good let's quote. go off to Tara Vangine. I just wanted to have the last note on Dalinar, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Yeah, you <laughs> can't give really it to me because uh, I, I said I didn't like him as much. So Tara Vangian, <laughs> I thought was, okay, My one of my favorite scenes in this book was when Taravangian and Dalinar were talking and Taravangian lays out a scenario. And it's kind of like if there's three people and you know two of them are murderers and one of them was innocent, what do you do? Like, mm-hmm. do you uh, imprison all three of them? Do you kill all three of them? Do you let all three of them go? Like, what do you do? What's the, what's the righteous judgment? And Dalinar kind of wrestles with the question a little bit. And Taravangian says you kill all three of them. And he says something along the lines of that's the purpose of a monarch. That's the purpose of a king is to stain his own soul so that everybody else doesn't have to. And to me that like perfectly foreshadows and perfectly encapsulates uh, who Taravangian is. And it's a great comparison to Dalinar, which I I think you're going for, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It shows their, it shows their difference. But it also shows their similarity because they both have waded through a lot of blood, but Dalinar is willing to now change here and try to be more of an upright and noble leader and see the good in people where Taravangian is like, yeah, it's all about the ends justifying the means. Yeah, a lot more pragmatic about it. Like, you know, bloodshed is going to happen no matter what. So his thought is, let's minimize it and minimize the bloodshed and at the same time maximize the outcome you want. So how how much of a good faith actor for humanity is Taravangian, do we think? Because he always kind of justifies like along that same justification, like I'm just trying to help humanity survive all of this. Mm-hmm. Seems like he started that way, possibly. Yeah, I, I definitely think he started that way. I think that's his like like his intent. You do get to see more into the mind of him when he's at his smartest and when his compassion and empathy is at a zero. And he seems, he seems that he's acting more like we need to do this because I'm right. I'm yeah. the, I'm right here, so this is what we're going to do. And less, he's less motivated by, by like actually caring for people. It's it's like that moment. He's like, okay, this is the goal that's been placed in front in front of me. This is how we solve it. Let's do it. And he's kind of like forgotten the goal. It seems like when he's in that mode. But I do think, on average, like when you average all his days. I think on average, he is a good ally for his view of the cause of humanity. Like he really does want, want to see humanity survive. He's just willing to go through, go to like higher extremities for that. And now he's kind of been defeated a little bit by Odium. To, and now he's backed off of his all of humanity. Yeah. Says, eh, let's just save all of Carbranth. Can we do that, Odium? That's probably yeah. not great That's for not the rest yeah. of our heroes because they still trust. Dalinar still trusts him to some extent. I mean, he doesn't totally trust him, but he's still part of the coalition. They haven't killed him. But yeah, he knows he politically kind of betrayed him by like releasing the knowledge he did at the time. But right. it's not apparent that he's... Serving. Yeah, they don't know that he was the one that opened the Oath Gate and let the the singers into yeah. you know the army of, of Parshendi into your through and all that. So they don't know the extent that he's gone to yet. Yeah. I think Taravangian is probably one of the best characters I've ever 
like encountered in fantasy. I just love like how dynamic he is like between the days and just this idea of, you know, people are going to die. Let's ensure at least some sort of positive outcome. And how he really, like he hates himself for it, but he's like, it's got to be done. It's also interesting how he's kind of formed a cult around himself, you know, with his, what's that that diagram? Yeah. And how he has like these ardent followers and yeah, it's just like super well done. And then like, everything was death and whatever Dalinar is lacking in political uh, acumen. acumen. Yeah. That's the word I was going for. Teravangian makes that up, you know? Yeah. So Ben, you haven't finished this series and Jake, I don't think you even started this series, but he reminds me a lot of Andrew Skyle from the Lightbringer, the, the Lightbringer series, the, those five books by Brent Weeks. So I'd, I'd recommend those. I'm not going to say any spoilers there, but also a great kind of gray, is he a villain? Is he not? What are his motivations? Uh, really good stuff there. Reminds me a lot of what's going on here with Big T. So let's talk about uh, Kaladin. Kaladin, obviously, you know, still a, a big part of the book, although this is Dalinar's book. It starts off with his triumphant return to Hearthstone that isn't really all that triumphant as he kind of staggers in there after days of just walking around. Um, the meeting with his parents probably doesn't go as well as he was hoping for, although he does meet his new brother, who I thought was kind of a random addition. But I guess we'll see what happens with his family going forward. And then he like stops his entire high storm and he fights a few fused and he joins up with some Parshendi. I thought this was a fairly strong opening to the book, seeing, uh, you know, getting a look back at the flashbacks that we saw in Way of Kings a little bit. Yeah, I agree. This is one of those instances where I don't think that anything could ever live up to your expectations of what what should happen. You know, like going like Kaladin returning home. I don't know how I would have written it, but I know that reading it was very just unfulfilling for me for whatever reason. And maybe that's expectations subverted a lot here. You thought he was going to come back and be glowing and save the town and Laurel was going to love him and everyone was going to be like, oh, our hero. And said it's like. Ugh, you wouldn't joined them. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Give Kaladin a little bit of love. I felt the same when I first read it, but upon rereads, I've, I've come to kind of realize the start of his book here really sets the tone for the rest of his journey in this book where you like, you think, Oh, he was beaten down in the book one and then he got these powers. So now he's better. And then you realize in book two, okay. Like he's still not over like these prejudices and, but then he's then he like swears a second ideal and like he's good to go like he's overcome all this mm. but then you realize no he's still like a broken person he's still got a very bumpy ride yeah like he's he has the the baggage of his brother dying he has the baggage of just being in war seeing all these people die and like the injustices in his life like he's still got a lot of baggage that he needs to work out and you really start to see it here where one of the first things he does is punch Rashon in the face when he gets yeah. back. <laughs> that was a, yeah. that was nice. I, that I think was awesome. we all yeah. we all leaned into that punch together <laughs> as a fandom. Yeah, yeah. punch. Yeah, <laughs> but but I think it shows that like he's still like just because he's realized and sworn these ideals that like realized oh this is like I need to be a better person. He's not fully overcome everything. So let's skip forward in his plotline a little bit. We'll talk about the mission to Kolinar and the Shadesmar travels a little bit i think with uh, maybe shallan and adolin but the big moment for him i think that most people are going to remember 
if not the showdown with Amram, but the failure to swear the fourth ideal, right? This has been much talked yeah. about. He's so close, still saying, you know, say the words, say the words, and he tries to. And then he's like, I can't do it. And he's thinking about the people he's failed and who he's tried to protect. And so there's been so much speculation on what this is. Was that right before he saw, like, as he was watching Elokar die? Or was that no, in Shadesmar? No, no, no. This is in Shadesmar. This is he's in Shadesmar. This is and he right knows that he could, if he could swear the ideal, he could get enough stormlight to uh, save. Because at this point, Adolin and Shallan are probably going to die because yeah. the fuse have, like, caught up to them. They're trying to and Adel, Adolin's been face, basically right? like gutted at this point. He is actively dying. Yeah. Shalana's trying to open the yeah. oath gate and she's not able to. So yeah, he thinks, you know, if I could swear this, not only would it be great for me leveling up, but it would also get us out of this terrible situation we're in. And I could go save Dalinar Colin, who I really, really want to save. Yeah. But he can't do it. Yeah, I mean, everything just worked together so good from his like time with the Parshman to seeing Elkar die to having that mental break of realizing that there's like the line between good and evil is really hard. And so we don't know exactly what the ideal is going to be, right? But we know that Kaladin is not in a healthy mental space to be yeah. able to like determine that path for himself right now. It It seems like what held him back from swearing it was not letting go of the fact that he couldn't save people. So I think, ergo, lots of people have theorized that it has to do with accepting yeah. you're not able like, to protect everyone. I will accept everyone, the, or, that I cannot save everyone. Something along those or, lines. Or Obviously remembering the most popular. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or remembering those who have passed and like not being, just basically being able to overcome that grief. Um, we don't know that for sure, but it seems to at least be part of it. The remembering those who have passed, that's that's another order. No, that's 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 edge dancer. I just mean like being able to remember them and not be like weighed yeah, down okay. by it. Like, yeah. Yeah. See Yeah, I, that's edge dancer. I also like that theory that that's the O's, but I think that it it's also gotta be something like kind of like how Zeth is trying to figure out what the absolute truth is or like what mm -hmm. you know, it's gotta be something like who is in the right? Like he's got to say something like, "I have to accept that I am the arbiter of my own justice," or something like that. You yeah, know what I like, mean? Yeah, yeah. For, for I can Kaladin? save myself. Something like that. Yeah, because he he definitely sees that Parshmen aren't all bad, and that the Alethi aren't all good, and that. But at some point, he has to pick a side and fight for it. You know what I mean? And he has to be comfortable with that decision. I see that as more of. Uh, that's like too far into skybreakers. I don't think justice really has. Well, maybe not justice, but he, because he just didn't know who to fight for. Like it, it, when he was in, oh, what what's that city? He was like outside Hearthstone. And, yeah, and when he was in uh, Alethkar again, because he's like, I know these are some of those same Parshendi, but I don't think yeah. I didn't see the connection between that and the fourth ideal. I think he's just gonna like realize you know, part of that, I'll protect those who can't protect themselves. Like, I think personally, he's realized that kind of goes both ways. That doesn't just pick. Okay. That's fair. But I don't know. Seems like a, it seems like a really personal thing. And, and we hope that he can move on. And I mean, you're not going to move on past depression. We hope that we can, you know, take a step forward and, and find a better mental state. We'll see what happens with him in Rhythm of War. That's a cool point, though, Ben, um, because as we see with Zeth's uh, progression that the skybreakers decide you know they follow the law and according to them they see the law as the parshendi are in the right here 
they have first right to this land, so they join with them. It'd be interesting to see if some Windrunners join the Parshindi for a similar reason, like you're saying, the fact that, hey, these people are oppressed. These people need to be de- like someone to defend them because they can't defend themselves. Damn. So they, they join not as, like, I see the Skybreakers as more active and antagonistic in fighting, whereas the Windrunners wind I could see being more, we're here to protect everyone who needs it, so stop attacking. Like, yeah, these. it's kind of like the D&D chaotic good versus neutral good versus... It's like uh, a oath of... Alignment. Oath of protection versus oath of vengeance <laughs> kind of thing. All right, Paladin. <laughs> 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 See what I did there? Kaladin, Paladin. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's go on to Shallan. And the lead in here is Kaladin has... I mean, Shallan has chosen Adolin, right, by the end. Kaladin doesn't care. <laughs> Honestly, he shouldn't, though. I think there was more development in their love life on Reddit than there was actually Dude, in, come on, on the man. pages of the book. Everybody... After, after they were holed up in that... Uh, that's you know, all cavern there that's, and words of radiance. People were shipping them hard. They I had know. this stronger connection because they're both radiance or both damaged a little more than Cal- than Adolin, who was always so cheerful. There were reasons. There were no, reasons. There were reasons, but that's that's like one part where it's like, oh, they actually connect and like they realize they have these similarities. They definitely still have things that push them up, could push them apart, like the Hilarion. But all like the shipping was like way i feel like way overdone i thought it was obvious uh, that that's what we have to do as a fandom shipping is required like, i get i get wanting to like see more and i do think we will see more of shallon and kaladin and their charisma together what's the word i'm looking for like the connection they have but i think like i don't think that's set in stone just because she's betrothed to does she get married to adolin at the end or just betrothed yeah, man. They're married. She gets made or married. Yeah, but just because they're married, like I think as we see with Shallon, she's got Urshalon, the multiple personalities. Like there's more to explore there. But I don't think you think, you, really... uh, you think there could be a Vale Kaladin and a Shallon Adolin uh love square. Well, Radiant Radiant really liked didn't Radiant really like Kaladin as well? Yeah, I think Radiant probably likes him too. Yeah. I guess the, each of their personalities could choose someone else. We could bring in a third guy. Yeah. But anyways, I I think like definitely Sanderson was laying down the groundwork that there's a connection here for a love triangle. But I think from Kaladin's perspective, would he really be that upset? Like he's not going to pull a Jacob from Twilight and like go like Ooh, yeah. the Twilight references are coming out. <laughs> like, we we we've you got known, a love triangle, you got to break out the Twilight references. We've known that Kaladin has really weird relationships with girls, like his childhood girlfriend that like he still like kind of has a thing for, but not really. And then talking about Laryl, yeah, Laryl over cause... her. He was like, well, over he's her. over her. But like, that's the thing. It's like, and then he also had like a girlfriend when he was in the training to become a war, like that we yep. that we heard about briefly. And yeah, then her name's Tara. When, he, when he escaped as a slave, <laughs> she was very invested in Calden's love life. <laughs> Dude, I yeah. I know my Stormlight archive, so. Uh... I mean, I don't know everything, but I, I know these details. Her name was Tara. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Was that when he was a soldier or when he was a, an escaped slave? I'm going to say slave because yeah, I, think he, he uh, slave. I think she gets captured or killed yeah, yeah. When, when they're slaves, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I guess... I don't know. I felt like that was kind of out of nowhere. Like I think introducing people, her as a character. Yeah, I think we've always kind of expected we're going to learn more of her. Yeah. But I think what we've seen is that 
people are kind of really attracted to Kaladin because of his strength, but he has a very hard time returning those feelings. And then yeah. he kind of lets himself, but is very reserved. I think it plays into his depression a lot, you know? Yeah. And I agree with that. And that's why I thought it was totally in character for him not to really make a big deal about yeah. her picking Adolin. She has, and plus she had way more on screen time with Adolin, like getting to know him and building a relationship. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look with, with severe depression, like Kaladin's, it is hard to form relationships with people. It's, it's just part of it. Yeah. I, I we've definitely, um, Hijack Shallon's character, Shallon's character <laughs> to talk about Kaladin again. Yeah. <laughs> to go to go back to her. Yeah, I, let's go back to reverse Randall Thor here. I think that my favorite scenes from her, my favorite scene for sure with her is with when her and Wit are talking in Alucar and Wit reframes. Colinar. Oh, Colinar. Yeah, I, I called it Alucar, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, you're technically correct. <laughs> okay, they're in the kingdom of Alcar in the city of Kolinar that is on the planet of Roshar in the, in in the, the pro- in the proximity, yeah. Okay. So, when Wit reframes the parable that she had kind of alluded to in the first part of the book of the girl who looked up or stood up, I think. Stood the girl up. was it the girl who stood up? Yeah. I mean, the it, yeah, it had very like oh, who's that philosopher who talked about the cave and the shadows on the cave? Plato. Plato. Oh, Plato. There we go. Nice. Yeah, it kind cave. of had those same vibes on it. But then, didn't we learn that the girl is the one that brought the high storms to the village? It's like a, it's basically a retelling of the humans coming to Roshar. Right. They're like kept in Shinovar, and then they see stormlight outside of the walls and then leave and end up bringing the storm to, to the rest yeah. of the world. It was just a very like well done thing. And, and not only that, but like, Wit also helped her lean into her like disassociative uh, disorder and kind of helped her come to terms with it. And Mm -hmm. he was like, what was, what was his thing? Let me read a quote from him. I I really like, I have this quote highlighted in my copy. So he says, the world is monstrous at times. And there are those who would have, you believe that you are terrible by association. Shalon says, I am. And Wit says, no, for you see it flows the other direction. You are not worse for your association with the world, but is better for its association with you. That was a really good quote. Yeah. I thought, this, I thought it was really sweet. I agree with you. I don't get why Wit likes, like, is so nice to Shalon and such a jerk to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, Wit's kind of like <laughs> taking her under his wing, man. Like, uh, even. Yeah. I like Shalon. I like her character a ton. I think the Shalon persona she has can be annoying with her humor that I don't think is that funny, but I think her as a character is, is amazing and I really like her in it. And so like I, in that moment wanted to comfort her, but also I'm like, dude, who are you? Like (laughs) what's going on here? Yeah. Should we, should we talk about wit a little? I mean, is there anything else on Shalon? I I think we kind of covered most of it. I mean, obviously there's the whole beginning part, which I I think we're in agreement is a little boring. And the random fight with the unmade, the Midnight Mother. That was A little cool. bit out of nowhere. I mean, it was kind of cool, but cool. at the same time, it, it's a good setup for unmade later on, like introduces you to what they are. But I remember reading it for the first time and I'm like, what is happening? What is an unmade even? Yeah, I this love is probably it. This is before the before I was a Stormlight 
scholar <laughs> that I am now. That you claim to be now. Um, so, I think, yeah, claim to be key. I think the, the big parts in her story that are important is we really start to see that Vale isn't just some person she's planning to be anymore. She really has these separate personas. They're, they're a bigger part of her than we thought they, we were led to believe in Words of Radiance. And like her research side is really cool to see her communicate with the different unmade. And which one was it that was like, wait, I want to switch sides. That's Sha Anat. Sha Anat. Not the, that's not the rebel one, right though, but it's the one that, no. we, it's the one that was, uh, that's the corrupting spren one, the corrupting sprint. Yeah. And then also I thought it was really well done. It's just seeing her get to Colinar and it's like, here's some good I can do. Here's something I can control. Let me go do that. And seeing it fall apart and just, her feeling so like worthless and like no matter yeah. what, what I do, there's just this futility. Nothing is going to work to better this. You know, what was one of my favorite scenes was when uh, she was trying to study this brand in Colonar and she like tripped in such a way to reveal her safe hand in front of Adeline, <gasps> thus gasped, inspiring shame sprint to come. And it like yeah. just showed you like, this girl, like she was like, cause kind of the epitome of Vorin traditionalism at the start of the series, how she was very proper. Yeah. Very shy. Like very yeah. shy. I mean, obviously she kind of had a, had a mouth on her and would like make sailors blush, but like yeah. it definitely showed how, how far she has come that she's like still shamed at it. Like she's still ashamed of what she just did. Thus the shame spread. But willing to do that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like willing to put herself out there like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I will push back that at the beginning, it. she was never the epitome of a proper Voran lady. She was always like the spunky go okay. out and yeah, she was the world type. People think I'm the epitome, but I'm I'm not like well, other she Voren she kind of girls. aspired to be <laughs> though. Like, I don't know. I'm not your typical yeah, no, that that was a good moment. Another yeah. top moment for me was when she uh I don't remember exactly what the details were here, but she got a crossbow bolt to the head. And she yeah, just shrugs yeah. it off. Yeah. That, honestly, like, when that happened, I was like, dang. Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, going for the head is not quite enough to kill these zombies. Was her drinking in this one too? When she was like, kind yeah, of went undercover. Yeah. And that was, the, that was probably the low point of the book for me, <laughs> honestly. Her stabbing her own hand wasn't, wasn't doing it for you. The drinking in the bars with everyone. And I was like, what are we doing here? This is, it went on a little long. Okay. The first the first part was the weakest part for me. If we're going to talk overall about the book, yeah, it got it got progressively better. Okay, okay. let's do some quick hitters because we're uh, we're already going long, <laughs> but we're I mean these first three were the big ones. Those are the three that we know the most about so far. Okay, so going into Adolin. So for Adolin, I thought the down for me was that there were basically zero consequences from killing Sadius. We don't know. Maybe there will be in Rhythm of yeah. War, but they're like in the beginning. So yeah, that was really on, odd for me. Like who who killed them? Who killed them? And then obviously other things happen. They forget about it. Then at the end, he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, that's me. So I can't be king anymore. Nice, <laughs> good thing I killed them, so I can't well, be king." Yeah, one thing I did appreciate <laughs> was that, like, when he told Sh- uh, Shalon, and they kind of bonded over how screwed up they both were. Yeah, it was cool to see like them focus on he's not just this perfect person. You know, yeah. he's got his own stuff going on. The other kind of big talking point for Adolin is. Just the fact that he's not a radiant. He's just kind of a regular dude. Like he's a good swordsman. He's really hot. But at the same time, like he's not a radiant. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but he gets powered up a little bit because in Shadesmar, 
he's able to like make this extra special bond with his dead spren, his dead eye spren. He learns her name, Maya. I think in our hype episode, we actually called her Mara. Sorry, Mar- Maya. Yeah, That's Maya. Uh, short for something. But anyway, she's Maya. And then in the battle in Thalen Field, or this, he actually is more fighting in the city, but she's able to come to him in not the 10 heartbeats, but seven heartbeats for some reason at a critical part to save his life from the Thunderclast. So we know that there's like something extra special going on here with this relationship. And this is another thing that I think people are excited to see more of. He's got to, I mean, they got to explore that further, right? Yeah, and he's got, for sure. I think he's got a lot of good qualities that would make him an edge dancer, the dueling and. No, he's not going to bond, man. He's not going to become a knight. We need a normal person. Well, if he did bond Maya, he would be a edge He'd dancer because she's a cultivation yeah. sprint. I think it was Jake yeah. saying, but I agree with you, Ben. We need a normal person. Am I a normal then person? What's, then I mean, what's the point? None of these guys are normal. He can't be normal and then something happened with Maya. You know, he could be something else. We know already that like R- Renarin is not the traditional truth watcher. Yeah, would, but I mean, is there really any difference between him being well, a Knight's Radiant think, or his own version of a Knight's Radiant? I think that he could be like more of an ambassador type person to the Spren if he's able to heal or like bring back Maya. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I mean, not going to say spoilers for what we've read so far in Rhythm of War, but I think that Ooh. aligns. <laughs> Look at the cover, and you could probably infer some things that'll happen. Yeah, or read the back flap. Maybe he, uh, he like revives her, and they don't have a Nahel bond, but they have just, uh, just like, oh, I'll be your shard blade whenever. But he doesn't have radiant powers. She I might become know. the Roshar version of Nightblood. Uh, maybe. I think. Yeah, I think Brandon's willing to go in every which I mean, direction think, to break his own rules. So I, I, I would expect it to be the, something different. Is the the Warbreaker version of a Shardblade, right? I don't know. Yeah. Well, one thing with Adolin, there were theories. There were theories that he was going to be Odium's champion because he killed Sadius, right? Yeah, I well, remember. I like that theory. And then, and then that kind of got like sidelined because I was Dalinar and whatever. But do you think the revelation of how his dad killed his mom, like? Do you think Could we don't push see him anything, away from everything? Yeah, we don't have time to see the, the repercussions of that, but that's another thing that could lead him yeah. towards that. We know he's got potential for some brash action yeah. when he stabbed Sadius through the eyeball. Honestly, so, uh, the Sadius yeah. thing didn't bother me. I feel like the Evie's death is more of a motivation, would be like a bigger motivation. Well, I'm just saying, like, we know that he has the capacity in him for this type of, you know, brutal, violent action, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so okay. moving on from Adolin. Yeah, moving on from Adolin. Let's go to Navani. <laughs> uh, Navani is going to be a larger character in Rhythm of War. Here, she marries Dalinar. She kind of assists him, holding everything together. She has some good moments where, you know, after Dalinar goes off and gets drunk because he can't handle it, she holds the coalition together for a while. She advances tech a little bit. You know, she's basically the Steve Jobs of the world here. <laughs> um, my favorite moment with her was when she slapped the pain rail onto the Sadius guys. And protected herself a little bit so she wasn't just a damsel in distress. Anything else for Navani that I'm missing? Uh, I think getting married to Dalinar is a big moment for her. Obviously. Mentioned. Mentioned. <laughs> yeah, she she's more of a supporting character in this one. It's interesting now that like we know she has a bigger role in Rhythm of War. Thinking back to, oh, she doesn't really have that big of a role in this book. It is mostly just supporting, but I think it's supporting in a good way where yeah. it doesn't seem like she's just... You know, the 
the wife who's just sitting around and letting the husband do all the work. Yeah, she's not. actively contributing quite a bit, but just doesn't have time to shine yet. Yeah. Okay, Renarin, another guy who's sidelined for most of it. He's kind of trying to fit in. He doesn't know what he's doing here as a Knight's Radiant, and he doesn't do a great job of doing that. He gets information from Gliss, his corrupted spren. He opens up the gem archive. He's really just like a huge enigma. And then at the end, he's got this uh, extended sequence where he's seeing these fake visions and Yasna's like standing over him and he thinks she's going to kill him, but she doesn't, thus proving that his visions are wrong and that his father's not really going to be Odium's champion. And then he goes in and he heals Adolin and he shuts down a thunderclast. So Renarin's still finding himself is really what I'm getting out of this book. Yeah, I loved yeah. how we got to see him actually hold his own in battle. Like, uh-huh. I, I feel like, not that he needed to do that, but I felt like to all those people who didn't believe in him, suck it right now, because he just took down <laughs> a thunderclast. <laughs> Plus, I yeah. mean, he saved his brother, right? Yeah. The mighty Adolin Colin. Yeah. Writer of Sureblood, winner of duels, right? And Renarin comes in and Starter he's the plates. one. Sharder of plates. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's definitely come a long way from jumping face or jumping head first off of the wall from, from words of radiance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when he goes in to try to save in the duel. No, no, no. Well, before that, I think there's a there's a situation where Kaladin's kind of training, and then Aelin comes up and sharply and is like, "What can I do to train?" And the oh, swords yeah. master is just like, "Go jump off the wall ten times." <laughs> okay, now do it head first. Yeah. <laughs> He's a, he's a great character. I'm excited to see. Honestly, he needs more time in the spotlight. You know he what does. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. I'd like to see some points of view from him. Okay. So if we're talking about Mighty Warriors, we have to talk about Yasna. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Jake loves Yasna. Personal he crush, I think, from Jake. I think you're shipping Kaladin and Yasna. I, I would ship them if Kaladin becomes worthy. I love the, I love the guy, but I mean. He's got to get older too. So I think as part of our. Ventology guarantee yeah. the Oath, Oath Pact reforming. You know, Heralds, they're hundreds of years old. Who cares? They're it like, works. They're like, what, six or seven years apart, Earth years? No, man. It's, it's well, who cares about Earth years? It's about Rosharan years, I think. Well, do Rosharan years hold the same weight as an Earth year? It's like well, 10 yes, months because you year. live the same. Essentially, it correlates to something like Kaladin's in his early 20s, Yasna's in late 30s. So yeah, it's a little that's off. fine. That's fine. Okay, I guess age, uh, age may, maybe in, in Voran culture. Anyway, uh, Yasna returns finally. Awesome. This is a surprise to most of the characters because unlike them, they have not read Words of Radiance like we did and they don't know <laughs> she's still alive. Yeah. And so she shows up at the end of part one, clashes with Shallan quite a bit who has really enjoyed her freedom a bit away from her ward. And then uh, the, the big thing for her is coming in at the end as a, totally op else scholar turning people into crystal forming air into whatever substance she wants making stairs out of the air and holding the breach in the wall on her own she's really awesome are you just looking at the cover art <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's right so what ideal do we think she's sworn is she at the third ideal she's at least third well okay so d- does it correlate for every order because we th- we think fourth is the ideal where you get your plate. And so the speculation is like, has she has she sworn that ideal? Has she gone far enough? And there's a scene where there's all these geometric spread like swirling around her. And it seems like she could form plate if she wanted to, but she doesn't actively 
ever. So is that kind of what you're questioning? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. She's definitely, I think she's at least as strong as Kaladin, if not. No, she's definitely stronger. She's further along than Kaladin, I would say. I think she is. She's been a Radiant. I think she's been the Radiant for the longest that we've seen. That could be wrong. Maybe Shallan. Yeah, Shallan, she had a shard. Yeah, I'm unsure when Shallan really, yeah. And Shallan as well, we have no idea where she's at. She's she's definitely said ideals since we've known her, but we don't know the number and we don't know like how the numbers yeah. correlate between the orders. There's order. also a theory that Shallan might have her plate yeah. as well, because I think there's a point of view towards the end with her and Radiant, and they're yeah. looking around, they're like, wait, which one is Shallan? And they think it's the redhead Shallan, but she's actually Radiant at the time. It's like, okay, well, you have plate then. Yeah. Unless I it think was that's just how the theory like, goes. Illusion. Yeah. Yeah. No idea where she's at. This is all going off the theory that the fourth ideal, well, I guess the equivalent of the fourth ideal for different orders is where your cousin's friend come in and form your plate. That's what most of the fandom believes, and I would be surprised to see if that wasn't true. But then at the end for Yasna, she becomes the queen. Nice little... Uh, she has some some like info dump, like not info dump, but like mic drop reveals like, oh yeah, I knew about the Voidbringers. Yeah, she always knew about the Voidbringers. She had this ideal to kill the Heralds. And she wanted to get over to Shinovar, which are some radical ideas that we may see. She wants to kill the Heralds to reform the Oath Pact. So yeah. she seems to be willing. She's almost on the long in the veins of Teravangi. And like, she's willing to make some sacrifices to preserve things. I think she's a fantastic choice for Queen. Fantastic about choice for Queen. I wouldn't say she's as gray as Teravangian. She's just more, she's like logical the same. But in her mind, you know, killing the Heralds are all insane anyways. They're not really alive. Yeah. What's, yeah, what's the big loss? She's so. definitely she's definitely logical, but like even when she invites those thieves like in that alley with uh, her and Shalon and just kills them all, you're like, yeah, I guess that's okay because they had been robbing and maybe raping they were gonna, people. But yeah, they were going to kill and rape them. So. Still, man, it's you're you know you got like a Batman style justice right there. It's definitely caused to Everyone make loves you Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Okay, so so Venley we see a little bit of. We're obviously going to get much more of her in the next week. We already kind of talked about our confusion slash disappointment with Eshenai yeah. getting offed so early. She becomes Odium's mouthpiece. She, Dalinar uh, meets with Dalinar. She shuts down the peace talks there a little bit. And then, yeah, Jake at the end. Well, she, yeah, she bonds with uh, Tomber. With Timber. Tamber. Tamber. <laughs> I don't know how to That's say how you word. say that word. Yeah, Tamber. Yeah. Yeah, she swears the first ideal in the midst of all the Thalen field battles. Her point of view was really cool to see how um, her greed or corruption from the last book really slaps her in the face when she sees what like she brought on, basically. like yes. This is all her fault and seeing how her people are still suffering. They're just under a different subjugation, basically. Yes, this is a good... Like, ooh, I've made a huge mistake. Yeah, and it was really cool to see her, like, own that and not just... I just assumed she would be like, sweet, now we're killing all the humans, but seeing more of a a rational uh, mindset there. Also, Uh confusion on my part was Tambor... She picked up Tambor from Eshenai's body? Yeah. Was it... Yeah, so when they they found Eshenai and pulled off the shard plate, there was this little glowing thing that was hovering around and... She's like, cool, I'll take that. So was was that supposed to hint that Tambor was about to bond with Ashonai? I think they had already bonded. 
Had they bonded? I would say it's the same thing that happened at the end with Hoyd, Wit picking up Elokar's cryptic spren from yeah. the rubble and Kolinar. Because we don't get any hint at her interacting with the spren, Ashona interacting with the spren like that in Words of Radiance. Obviously, she, I was, remember. she was a voice of reason. She was honorable. And then, unfortunately, was the first to take on storm form. a storm form. And, and then she was just basically lost all control. So yep. we don't really see that, but that's what it, it must have been hinting at, right? That they, that Tambor was yeah. originally meant for Ash and I. I think it's interesting that you could just pick up a spren that was meant yeah. for someone else. Like, are they both really will shapers? Because they were pretty different personalities. I thought that same thing. Like, uh, what? Yeah. And you think about like Syl. Syl can't just go to another potential Windrunner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it's different if you've already bonded, but. Uh, yeah. How much of it is really your personality determines what ideal you are and how much of it is here's a sprint willing to bond with someone they found someone who is capable of a bond and they guide them into making the appropriate oaths yeah you know i don't know yeah and i mean you see all of bridge four all of them pretty much are like becoming these squires to windrunners yeah. like, are they really are they really all the windrunner persona as much as i'd like to believe brandon sanderson's personality test is the end all to <laughs> To determine what uh, order it is the you're best personality of. test out there, yeah. I I really think it's it seems to be much more flexible. It's not like oh you're this personality you're going to be this order. It's more yeah you have you have the ability to become a knight radiant. Like I wonder if we'll we'll see a scene where two spren two different types of spren are interested in one person and and they get to basically say Gryffindor and choose which one yeah they want to be <laughs> not Slytherin not Slytherin better be. Windrunner! <laughs> <laughs> not Wheelshaper. <laughs> <laughs> not Dustbringer. Yeah, yeah, not yeah Dust. Dustbringer. <laughs> so, okay, so quickly, um, let's not spend any time on this, but Azure is a thing. She's Viv- uh, Viviana from cool, Warbreaker. Yeah. Cool, cool, like name drop. Disappointing that she just disappears. Yeah, she, she's out there in Shadesmar somewhere. I read on Coppermine that she's 322 years old, apparently. So there's that yeah. little piece of trivia for you. Yeah. Um, Elikar. So a little, we can talk about Elikar for a little bit here. He, he dies. Like the most, <laughs> one of the most important scenes in the whole book, to be honest. Yeah, this was a shocking death, to be honest. It's like yeah. right up, right up there with "You cannot have my pain," in my opinion, because he's to set the stage. He, they're trying to retake he's the castle, say save his wife, more word. save his kid. One more word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's about to say the first, the first ideal, the first oath, whatever it is. All you had to say was destination, destination. Just get the word destination out there and you're good, man. And Kaladin is watching him. So you get to see this through his point of view and just yeah. the, the disappointment when Freaking has Moash. done nothing wrong. Moash comes out from behind and just kills him right then. That was like heartbreaking. I thought for sure they were going to, I don't know. And you see like the past book and this book, he's doing everything he can to become yeah. better like he really wants to be better and it was a good redemption because we don't like elokar very much then he's kind of a twit kind of a wimp but then you know he's able to really progress and you you like him much more yeah and you see who he could be as a king and you're like yeah this guy he's got he could do it and then he can't because so much but such a good moment to have in a book that that disappointment good contrast and kaladin's uh failure to swear the fourth ideal i thought those were yeah. Really bold choices and they went very well, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. 
So Wit, I mean, we we kind of already talked about Wit. He picks up the cryptic spren at the end, giving him even more access to different investiture types. I'm really not sure if he really needs this or not, if he's just a collector at this point. But uh, yeah, go Hoyd. You've got yeah. uh, the ability to be a light weaver now, although he kind of already did. Yeah, he's got double light weaving now. And and, and speaking of like, you can just pick up another person's spren. Like, is wit really broken enough? They always talk about you have to be broken to be a night radiant. I think, I think we kind of well, read into I th- that. I don't think Brandon Brandon doesn't like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, as I'm much. saying I think I think fans read into that more. Like, have like yeah. made this thing. Like, people are like, oh, Adolin can't be a night radiant because he's not broken enough. I think that's a little like over. Yeah, I think the point is that everyone has shortcomings. Yeah, everyone's broken. No one is like yeah. this perfect human and mentally and emotionally all right so speaking of imperfect and crazy humans we get zeth (laughs) for a little bit mostly towards the end of the book he is back alive and he's a skybreaker trainee i thought the scenes where he was training as a skybreaker were kind of fun he tricks him by falling in the water cleaning off his robes and okay he's not hit at all by the colored balls or or bags or whatever that was and then uh, when he swears to dalinar and then unsheathes nightblood and goes in and chops the thunderclast in half which there's a cool uh, actually on youtube there's a really cool like little animated scene of that if you want to uh, really nerd out um then he helps out dalinar obviously gets honors drop and then at the very end he swears to cleanse shinovar of their false rulers over there so zeth is set up for yeah. some good stuff but we didn't we didn't get a lot of him here and no, he's still I, perfectly yeah. weird i i think his his paintball paintball episode was awesome when he was paintball that's what it was yeah well and then i also liked how he they had some type of challenge where they're trying to find escape criminals and and it ended up being the jail master that kind of was taking bribes or something and he he ended up figuring that out so that was also cool it kind of shows how he's setting himself apart from your typical skybreaker so yeah he's all about zeth he's like not just oh i'll be a skybreaker but he's like a really good version of it he's done just taking other people's orders for the heck of it yeah i think it's interesting how we get to see a more rounded view of nail in this as well Mm -hmm. and Uh like the events of edge dancer have really shaken him and so he's more he seems he seems almost less crazy than any of them at this point i like how we um get to see that other side of him yeah all right just a couple more, and then we're we're a wrap here. So, bridge four, including Moash. There was an entire sequence of the book where it just went through different bridge four viewpoints, which I thought was really necessary because I feel like Brandon's having a hard time figuring out how bridge four continues to fit into the narrative, but he really wants them to. And I thought he did a pretty decent job here of you know showing they're still off doing their thing, but at the same time, you know they were conceived as these slaves, and now they're not, and so he's got to show this progress. But there's also all of these other characters taking up screen time. So it's a little tough to fit in Bridge 4. But we saw enough of them. I thought Teft was probably the best of Bridge yeah. 4, swearing yeah. the third ideal, um, willing to you know, save, or, or what was it, to uh, forgive those he hated, even if it's himself, something like that, protect those. Well, what, and what, what about the... What was to swear? <laughs> uh, well, I, swear. I, I don't know. I think it was forgive himself was the essence of it. But like yeah. how he... Yeah, that's it how he sold his coat and how they used his bridge four coat to like infiltrate and steal the honor yeah. blade. That, yeah. man, that was, yeah. that was heart wrenching. And 
So anyway, Teft was really well done. I like how these books can be so big that we can get a story like that. Like, I guess the, the bridge four coat was plot important for the overarching plot, but everything else he did wasn't really plot important. It was just a really cool character focus. I appreciate the length of the books that allow for that. We got some Lopin. Lopin swears the second ideal in kind of a funny way towards the end. I would recommend rereading some of Lopin's parts as you go into Don Shard, because Lopin's a POV character in Don Shard and is really good there. I mean, if you didn't like Lopin yet, you will like him quite a bit in Don Shard. Obviously, Rock gets the big kill on Amaram, but isn't this kind of bugged me? It's like, uh, I mean, I guess that's like his culture or whatever, but at the same time, his daughter doesn't seem to think too much of Rock's reluctance to just take up the shards here. I don't know. I was I was a little skeptical. Well, yeah, isn't it because he was he's supposed to be a cook, so he's not allowed to fight. Yeah, but it's him. Like you saved Kaladin. You you, you saved him. You know, you had to do it. Yeah, it's okay. Exception. Well, no? and also, didn't he like come down from the peaks in order to win a shard blade? Like, or maybe just <laughs> yeah, right? as part of the entourage. That seems, of- that seems a little. Oh uh, yeah. At odds, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do some research here. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Rock. <laughs> All right, so then uh, let's maybe let's end by talking about Moash. I think we've kind of talked through everyone else. Well, th- we did have our crazy heralds, but maybe we don't have time to speculate on big Cosmo or things like that. So Moash, we are accepting, I guess, that Moash is the new big bad as far as the personal big bads. And he was a slave to the singers for a while. He impressed Leshui by killing her. Earlier brings him back in, says, "Okay, well, you know, you uh, you killed a king here, nice work, and now we're going to make you one of us, essentially, and go kill Yezrin." And he does, and then he gets the honor blade, the honor blade that Zeth had originally, the Windrunner honor blade. So he's made his way back to being really part of Bridge Four because he's got the same powers yeah. as them and everything, and he gets a new name. He's called Vire now, and a very interesting state. Moash. I think we also saw him working along with the other Parshendi and he kind of had kind of continuing to be that foil where Kaladin was also involved with the Parshendi and seeing kind of the the yeah. humanistic view of them. So yeah, again, Moash is just a great villain, you know, because we've seen we see every step of his path to destruction. I think his purpose is to be that, like you said, that great foil of Kaladin. And I think he does like an mm-hmm. awesome job of it. And for that reason, I don't want a redemption arc for him. It's not because I hate him. I like him as a character. I think a lot of what he does is like it's all justified in his mind. So I get it. And I think it would kind of be cheap if he gets like fully redeemed. Like I'd like to see him at every turning point Kaladin makes where Kaladin has to choose like the right way. I'd like to see Moash kind of choose the wrong way and see how that plays out. Yeah, in our Rhythm of War hype episode, I think we came to a consensus that we'd like to see something where Moash doesn't have a redemption arc, but he's doing something maybe against the fuse because he realized, he's realized these guys are just as bad. He goes out in a blaze of infamy of some kind where he's not redeemed, but he does do something plot important. Probably going to help our heroes in some way. You know, he's got some nod yeah. over to Kaladin at a dramatic moment. That. and. I don't want any of that. No, Similar, you don't want him no. to like carry an atomic bomb into the heart of the fuse and blow everybody up, including himself. That's no, that's too much of a no. redemption. It's too much of a redemption. Like, but he's not doing it for righteous reasons. He's doing it because like I, 
you know, I hate these guys just as much as you guys because okay, uh, if he goes you know, on they a, were like, jerk to goes, me. Or, yeah, if he goes on a rampage. Personal vengeance yeah, type personal of thing. Fine, but I don't want like the nod to Kaladin like, or whatever, <laughs> or, like, like that meme. I would like to see him be like fully under Odium's control where he just decides, I don't want to feel bad anymore, so I'm just going to offload all of this and just do what I'm told and not have to feel responsible for anything anymore. Yeah, he would he would be the one giving up his pain to Odium. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he for sure has. And yeah. again, let me know how that works with Odium's intent. But like the same idea, like he's decided, I can't feel this pain anymore for all these people I've let down and all these things, so I'm going to give to Odium. And again, that's a foil to Kaladin who has to somehow overcome holding on to all this pain. But Kaladin, obviously we hope, is going to choose to overcome it by being at peace with it as opposed to offloading it like Moash does. All right, let Jake know. Join Discord, <laughs> talk with Phantology more. Links to that are going to be on our social posts. Thanks for listening to this lengthy review of Oathbringer. But it had to be. I mean, the book is long itself. I wouldn't expect it. We're planning on doing five reviews for Rhythm of War. We're going to review every part. So if you thought this one was long, just wait for a Rhythm of War episode if you were to smash those all together. That's going to come out. That book is going to come out tomorrow if you're listening to the podcast. I'm excited for that to show up on my doorstep. We'll have to see how quickly we get through it. Again, it's going to redeem 2020. I promise everything is better from this point out. Don't know if I can make that a Phantology guarantee, though. We are recording this on Friday the 13th of 2020. So... Oof, so this is the darkest <laughs> hour. This is the darkest, darkest hour. The right darkest more. timeline, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the brighter days are ahead. All right, if you like Phantology more, you can find more episodes at www.phantologybooks.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. And like I said, join our Discord and chat with us and let us know what you're thinking of the book and of Oathbringer and of Rhythm of War. Hopefully this is a good primer and can help you remember a few details because there are a lot of them, like we said. Over 1,200 pages for both books. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, yeah. We'll see you guys later. Join us on Discord. Peace.